Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hadley and welcome to another edition of the Viewfinder Podcast. As you probably know, it's been several months since our last show, but it's great to be back with you and I look forward to bringing you even more outstanding conversations with some of the indie film world's best actors and filmmakers over the coming weeks and months. This week's guest, Baton Rouge-based filmmaker Scott Sullivan, is just one of those amazing talents. And his latest film, Trigger Girl, is a suspenseful portrait of three people entrenched in a perplexing murder mystery where the line between suspect and victim is just as ill-defined as the identity of who pulled the trigger. Written and directed by Sullivan and shot in February of 2020, not long before the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, Trigger Girl stars Leo Honeycutt as veteran private eye Frank Hayden, who, while attempting to catch a wanted serial killer, gets lured into what could be the most unusual case of his career, when a drunken sociopath named Priscilla, played by Trisha Pruitt, lures him into her home. While there, Frank meets Priscilla's equally troubled daughter Casey, played by Madeline Reed, who has long suffered from both her mother's abuse and from being afflicted by a frightening series of multiple personalities that turn her from sweet one moment to diabolical the next. As tensions rise between mother and daughter, and as Frank tries to discover what really led Casey to be trapped in her fractured state of mind, the longtime detective ultimately learns that his long-held guilt towards a far more personal cold case, that of his beloved daughter's disappearance, could make solving his current one an impossible challenge. The film also stars Heather Kaz as Frank's secretary, Agnes, whose concern for her boss's physical and emotional well-being is as strong as her professional loyalties to him. Now on the Viewfinder podcast, Scott joins me to talk about his memories of making Trigger Girl, plus how his fascination with and love of the mystery genre inspired his idea for the film, and how Louisiana-made productions like it can go a long way towards improving the fortunes and profiles of the Pelican State's rich pool of talent on both sides of the camera. When and where can audiences see Trigger Girl and are there any plans for its wider distribution? Um, right now, uh, Trigger Girl is, uh, we're, we're considering a few festivals. Um, so sometimes we have to wait and see what happens with those before we kind of just do a, a wide release. Uh, but we're not gonna take too much time with that. Um, there, if, if people will follow us on Facebook, uh, either follow Sully Scope Films, um, or look up, uh, Trigger Girl, there's, there's a page on Facebook for that as well, but Sully Scope Films is a page you can follow for, for updates, uh, because we may have a, uh, a few more theatrical showings that will kind of open up to the public, uh, we're just, uh, kind of seeing how things pan out right now, um, so that will be an opportunity, um, before it ultimately finds its home on a, uh, a streaming platform or, or online somewhere. So well, please keep us posted on all that. Yes, sir. What inspired you to make Trigger Girl and what, if any other, mystery slash noir movies and TV series influence both the plot and characters that we see in this film? Well, I've, I've always been a big fan of, of mystery. Um, and, uh, Trigger Girl was kind of, uh, it wasn't something that I had necessarily planned to do. 
as much as uh, there was an opportunity where we we had a certain uh, talent that was looking to be in a film and kind of all the stars aligned and we had a location and uh, nobody was doing anything because it, the COVID thing was kind of ramping up. Um, and at the time, I was very interested in the work of uh, David Fincher, and, and I was just very into his stuff at that time. So I'd say that a lot of uh, Fincher-type films inspired the, uh, the overall script itself or the idea to do sort of a noir um, mystery with a, with a kind of a troubled, uh, very troubled characters. Um, and so that was kind of the, the genesis of the, uh, the inspiration. Um, any any yeah. specific films that David Fincher did, like a seven or something like that? Well, yeah, I mean, you can, you can kind of go down the list, but seven is definitely there. Um, I was actually very much so also into a series that he was doing called Mindhunter. Um, I was very fascinated by the way the characters were, were crafted in that, that series that was on Netflix. Um, and uh, it, it, was, um, it was kind of a mixture of, of those things. I mean, you, I mean, you could even throw in stuff like uh, Gone Girl. Um, it's not that much of it in there, but the, the look of, of some of his films and the, the feel, the, the type of feelings that they give you. Um, in these kind of contained worlds, uh, you know, it, that's what it's inspired the, the story itself or the film itself, rather. And you've got a very flawed yet driven lead character played in yeah. the film by Leo Honeycutt. You introduced him in a short film prelude to Traeger Girl called Charade Number no. 178. Yes. Discuss how this helps to set up his story, his background, what we learn about him and his crime solving methods and the type of personality that we eventually see in greater depth in Trigger Girl? Well, um, in Charade, uh, Charade was really, uh, well, here's, here's a little fun fact about Charade. Charade was originally the opening of the film mm -hmm. uh, that I, I ended up deciding uh, to kind of cut that. But at the same time, I was, I was so... Uh, I was so pleased by the way the two the two actors in that scene, Leo Honeycutt and Trey Godfrey, I was I was really pleased with how they how they played the scene. So I didn't want it to just go on the cutting room floor. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I called it charade number 178 because in the film he mentions how many cases he's he's done. Uh, so I thought it'd be interesting to show him in action, to show his style. Um but also um, at the end, we see this, this kind of futility that he goes through with, uh, with gaining the truth. Um, he, he gains the truth, but then he also figures out that there's a, a bigger lie at hand um, and how his job can be thankless because, uh, you know, the guy was not very appreciative that he even figured anything out. Um, and is his kind of loneliness in his whole profession, uh, which kind of, plays into his uh, his motivation to be a detective, which is not wholly in solving these cases before him, but he's looking for something else. And we we find that out during the course of the film. And Trey, of course, is the man that he interviews in charade number one. Yes, yes, yes. 
seeing that charade number 178 is about the case that he took right before he began investigating that of the multiple personalities of Lady Casey, played by Madeline Reed in Trigger Girl, does that previous case have anything to do with Casey's, or is it just a means of introducing Frank going into your film? Well, yeah, it's it's really just a means of introducing Frank's character. So we know that that this guy is um this guy can get it done. Uh he can he can kind of see beyond what's what's on the surface. And that's that's what Charade was really about, just introducing him as that guy. This film also reunites you with actor Trisha Pruitt, who in Trigger Girl plays the drunken mother of Casey and who played the title role in a short film you did back in 2017 called The Unknowable Catherine Bonaire. I interviewed you about that one for the Louisiana International Film Festival in 2018. What was it like working with her again, and what did she bring to the table in terms of her performance? Uh, well, uh, Trisha, Trisha is one of the most um, hardworking, um, and it's, you can't just call her an actress because she does so much behind the camera as well so she's just a hard-working person in the film industry so it's always um it's a pleasure and uh definitely um it's a great opportunity to connect with her on any project that i do uh and so she she brings so much to the table um in in catherine bonaire when we worked together uh she played a very different character from what she's playing now and um, the thing that amazes me about Trisha uh, is that she's not like either of those characters in real life, which uh, most people tend to share some sort of commonality with the, the people they play. Uh, but Trisha is a pure actress. Um, she, uh, she, she bought to the table this, this, this person who, uh, by all means, you spend most of the film not liking. Um, but it was extremely challenging for her to to play that part in that way, to draw that out of herself, so to speak, but then also try to flip it on us at the last moment to, to just have this small moment of redemption, which, um, you know, I... I'm not sure how it comes across to audiences, but it, it's it's there for her. And I think she played it wonderfully. Um, so it was, I mean, <laughs> it was definitely, it was an experience to, to be with her on this. Equally amazing are the performances of Honeycutt and Reed in this film. The former is a detective struggling with both a complex case and the unresolved pain of losing his daughter. The latter playing a character both tortured by her past trauma and unhinged at times due to the multiple personalities she inhibits. Describe how both of those actors helped to bring out the qualities and flaws of their characters through their portrayals of them. Yeah, that's a that's a very um, deep question, man. And that that's why I like talking to you. You at you ask the really deep stuff. Thank um, you. Well, the uh, let let let's start with let's start with Leo. Um, he he really helped to um, to bring this out because Leo Leo has a very he has a very diverse experience in his his real life I'll, I'll say so he has so much to draw upon as a as a father himself um, as a journalist uh, a person who's seen a lot and and done a lot and and is still seeing a lot and doing a lot. Um, 
So he was able to draw out a lot of Frank's pain as far as 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 fatherhood goes. Um, but also as a journalist, he it kind of goes hand in hand with being a detective and really kind of uh, getting to the bottom of things. And, you know, this asking the right questions, um, really trying to uncover the, that that hidden truth that sometimes um, not even the person hiding the truth may know that they're hiding uh, what they're hiding. Um, so he 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 did that in a in a in a very natural way, in my opinion. He he was a very uh, very smooth character. Um, he could have gone overboard emotionally with it, but he I think he played his part in very in a very planned step fashion to where at the end um, we were kind of ready for his pain, ready for him to reveal his mystery to us. Um, so that, 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 you know, that's, that's one of the ways he pulled that off. Now, Madeline had a very difficult task and her coming from a theatrical background really, really helped in this sense. She consummate professional, um, but also, um, someone who was able to really examine the script, uh, and pull out nuances in the character. And she was able to, to really flip through those different roles because she I mean she plays almost four or five different people in the in the script um but she was able to do that flawlessly and you know we shoot out of order when we shoot this stuff so she would hop from one thing to the other um and she you know it it was no you know it was no wasted time with her at all um and she was able to really bring out the nuances of each of those those characters by by kind of digging into her her own professional theatrical background to to kind of tune in to what needed to be done and um i think she pulled it off man on top of that she wore a wig the entire time that's not her her natural hair yeah so she pulled it off yeah yeah just seeing her you know perform not just someone having to go through all that having to deal with trauma that she went through in the past and the pain and the uncertainty and the fear that she goes through living with multiple personalities that's just that made her performance in the film all the more chilling yeah yeah and that that's 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 all she was able to pull that off and i mean if there there's any any talent or actors or actresses listening or that will read this rather um preparation is the key um, I've, I've never worked with anyone more prepared than she, um, and that gave her the space to kind of, uh, play with the creativity when the camera was rolling. And, um, I think she did a wonderful job. She did, as did Leo and Trisha and Heather Kaz, who also plays, um, Leo's secretary in the film. Oh, yes. Um, Heather is, uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about Heather, um, that, goes hand in hand with preparation. Um, she, she was almost called in at the last second to play that part and you would never know it. Uh, but she, she's a master at playing, playing a role, um, as, as a director envisions it, you know, she, she has something about her where it's like, gosh, Heather, you pulled that out of my brain, you know, there's, you know, so, um, she's always great to work with. A Trigger Girl was shot in February of 
last year, just before the worldwide COVID-19 outbreak reached the United States. Despite that, how did you and your crew approach shooting the film, given that the production phase was so extensive? It involved an eight-day shoot for 97 scenes total. And what did you do to make sure it got completed before the lockdown ensued? <laughs> um, I, you know, during that time, uh, nobody knew quite what was what was going on, uh, what was going to happen. Uh, so uh, we we proceeded um, in that fashion. You know, there there was no way we, you know, in hindsight, uh, we may have been too scared to go forward with anything. But because we didn't know, um, we in a sense uh, just stayed with the course. Um, and the type of film you have to keep in mind that it, it being a, um, with the exception of a, a few scenes, uh, it's 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 largely a single location film, and we had a very uh, very small crew. Uh, this is this is beyond skeleton crew. So it was uh, a semi miracle that we we pulled it off even, but. Um, with the small crew, the single location, and the most important thing, the dedication of everybody who was uh, who was a part of it, um, I think it created the perfect recipe to complete this. And um, we could have been in any condition, really, and we I think we still would have gotten it done. Uh, that being said, we did reconvene for a couple of scenes, actually during COVID, in which we. Uh, we took uh, safety precautions to get those done. And of course there were minimal people on set as well to get that taken care of and everybody made it through safely. Yeah. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was, it was new for us, but we, uh, we got it done. And did the pandemic in any way affect post-production? Uh, post-production, not so much, uh, being that, um, uh, Another interesting fact, I guess, is that um, most of the post-production, I, I ended up having to do solo. Mm -hmm. uh, so I guess in that way, the pandemic did affect it. But uh, as far as, as timelines go, it didn't affect post-production as much as it affected the, the release of it. How did it affect the release of the film? Well, the film, um, the film was probably done uh, far before the, the time when we actually started showing it. And when we actually started showing the film, we were just doing uh, very limited audiences um, here at Celtic in the screening room. Um, so it, it, the desire going from the outset was to, to forewall it in a city to uh, larger audiences um, and try to get a draw that way. Uh, but of course, the the pandemic made that um, I, I wouldn't say impossible, but it made it sort of a, an unwise um, an unwise business decision from a financial aspect. Yeah. Um, those who may not be familiar, forewalling is what in terms of distribution for a picture. Good question. It's uh, when you kind of team up with the theater and you pay them a certain amount of money to uh, rent their theater, to put it in simplistic terms. Yeah. Um, and there's a few more things that go into it, but that's the, that's the idea. Yeah, it just goes from town to town for a specific 
period of time and then it just goes on from one place to the next it can it can um i uh for this we were thinking about making things just local and uh if we got a good response then we'd kind of organically spread out from there um but even the 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 pandemic of course kind of made that strategy just a little bit unattainable you briefly mentioned just a second ago um celtic studios in baton rouge that's where the offices of your production company sully scope films is located yes yes and the uh film eventually did screen at celtic with a uh, louisiana lieutenant governor billy nungesser in attendance what was that experience like <laughs> that was um you know that's that's amazing man i mean it's uh you, you always hope that that somebody will come and watch your film. But uh, when you get the, the lieutenant governor in there um, to 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 lay eyes on your film and um, be in attendance, it's it's a tad bit surreal. Um, you know, uh, Lieutenant uh, Nungesser is a is a wonderful guy. I mean, he, he really supports um, a lot of people in the state of Louisiana, but he's a big fan of film. And um, to have him here speaks volumes about him as a supporter of independent film, the film industry here in Louisiana. So it was a uh, it was a great, great uh, honor to have him in attendance. Yeah. The big Hollywood projects get most of the attention among average Louisianians, but they don't really seem to know or most of them don't really seem to know that there is a huge independent homegrown indigenous film community in Louisiana that I really think needs to be tapped into and really needs to be celebrated. You know, I, I agree 100, a thousand percent with you on that. Um, the thing about uh, a film like Trigger Girl and so many others that are, there's so many talented people here, right here in Louisiana. Um, we, we had a, a casting director um, who uh, works with Clint Eastwood who came out to see Trigger Girl uh, for a private screening. And um, she was floored by our, our actors' performances. Um, and it's just, it goes to show these people, we didn't get these people from Hollywood. These people are right here. Uh, but what's unfortunate is that um, some of them uh, need to, they, they feel like they have to go to Hollywood to make it. And that's understandable. Yeah. Uh, but it's really... It, it really speaks to the fact that um, I guess we could all kind of focus and 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 kind of be more creative about how we support our independent film community because it will sustain us um, during the pandemic. Uh, you know, when <laughs> everything was shut down, you know, uh, Hollywood is great uh, for us financially and keeping people employed, but stuff like that happens. The disruption left people with nothing. Um, but as independents, we were able to keep kind of moving along as long as we were safe. Uh, so supporting our, that infrastructure, the, the independent film infrastructure here in Louisiana could do wonders for, for the people in this state who want to remain in this state and create art, but just need it to be sustainable. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a, a soapbox I get on uh, quite often. So... I could talk all day about that. <laughs> and if that support is there, then that really helps Louisiana's filmmakers and actors to just succeed and to build that infrastructure. Yeah, there's there's no reason in my mind. There's no reason why um, Hollywood and uh, 
Louisiana can't be mentioned in the, the same breath. Uh, as long as we're talking about, you know, quality films, I mean, we nobody will compete with tent poles like Marvel and stuff like that. That's just that's something else. Uh, but I'm talking about films that 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 we can make for reasonable budgets um, with great stories, uh, great stories. Um, with solid business, uh, both in front of and behind these films. That's the thing we need to have film business minds that, uh, that collaborate on this stuff as well to make sure it, um, it gets where it needs to go and gets seen by who it needs to get seen by. And it makes money so we can make more. Um, so it's, a, it's, it's complex, but at the same time, it's a, it's a very simple recipe. We just need dedicated folks to, um, to commit to that journey. Indeed. Now, besides fans of mystery, crime dramas such as the David Fincher ones that you mentioned, um, Seven and uh, Mind Hunter, plus other noirish suspense thrillers, what mm -hmm. audiences are you hoping to attract with Trigger Girl? You know, uh, I would hope that that lovers of uh, of the, uh, the genres and uh, genre elements you mentioned would be the ones that are primarily that's that's who it's for uh and to have them really kind of um dig into the movie and 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 watch and put eyes on it would be a dream come true and then and you know of course every filmmaker wants every man woman and child to watch their film but there's also a very um for adults, of course, there's a very family, uh, a family natured aspect to the film. Um, part of what came out of me while writing this was uh, being a father, kind of stepping back and realizing how every action, every word in some way shapes your children. And, um, and really becoming very, very aware of the responsibility and the sensitivity of of raising children um and that's something that uh as as parents that i i wish that me and maybe others we pay more attention to that because in a sense every word we say to our children is is creating the future of this world mm -hmm. so um i would hope that trigger girl in some way found an audience that would be kind of searching or receptive to that message as well and as a father yourself, did you in any way identify with Leo's character in the film? Oh yes, oh yes. I mean, they 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 say there's a there's that old adage that you know everything you write is essentially about yourself. Um, I'm not going to say that's true quite yet, but uh, there's definitely a little bit of me in in that, uh, and that's because I think in parenthood or in any type of relation, relationship where you're really co close, there's something universal about uh, what Leo went through. There's, there's something universal about regret or, or unanswered questions or, you know, if, you know just, just the mystery of life when it comes to loved ones sometimes. Um, and there's a certain pain that's carried with that that, that um, kind of never, never goes away. I mean, there's always a chance for redemption, uh, but that that pain um, it doesn't it doesn't go away until you deal with it. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> Besides Trigger Girl, what are some of the other projects you've got coming up in the pipeline, and what 
What's the current status of them? I am I am feverishly, and I meant to send you this one, uh, and I still can, but there's a couple more adjustments. There's Gravity. Um, it started out as a, a short film, but it uh, might end up being sort of a, a pilot episode uh, for something bigger. Um, so we'll see how it pans out, but that's a, that's a crime drama. Um, and, uh, we're, we're right about, uh, done with, do, with, with post, and then we'll have to cut a trailer for it. Um, but it's a crime drama based on sort of, a, uh, I guess you call it the fascination I had with Miami vice when I was growing up as a kid. Um, it, so it's, uh, it's got a sort of, a it's not, it's not a time period or anything like that, but some of the the musical callbacks may kind of bring up some of those feelings of, of back then. Uh, and uh, I've got a few more things in the pipeline that I wish I could share, but it's not quite time to share them now. But I'm, I'm saying that to say that things are are in the works and we'll, we'll probably be talking again soon. We definitely will. And please keep us posted on everything. Yes, sir. Finally, what are your overall hopes for Trigger Girl's success and what do you hope people get from watching it? Um, you know, like I, I, um, I would hope that that Trigger Girl, I hope we, we get to execute uh, our strategy of, of showing it to the general public when uh, uh, we decide which theater we may show it in um, before the end of the year, hopefully. And I would hope that it finds a good audience online as well. Um, and I hope that that people um, that watch it, I, it's always my hope that they're entertained. You know, um, I think there's something to be said about sitting around the um, the campfire that that's actually the TV in our generation and and just uh, exploring life and, and being entertained. But I'd also hope that they. Um, some kind of way it provokes their thought uh, that something touches them about their own life and it provokes a thought and it causes them to explore or critically reflect and, um, and make some sort of, uh, some sort of change if they need to, or realizing that maybe they are doing something right and keep doing more of it. So, uh, you know, that's a lot to ask of a movie, but you know, why not? Why not indeed. Scott Sullivan, the writer and director of his new film, Trigger Girl, a production of Sully Scope Films, his production company in Baton Rouge. Um, where can people find out more about your company and the films that you make? Uh, you, can, um, you can always go to uh, www.sullyscope.com. Uh, it's my, my website. Uh, and I, gosh, I wish I had a website person so I could keep that more polished. But it generally has uh, stuff you can, you can, I think you can see stuff that we've done in the past uh, and stuff that may be coming out soon, some trailers. Uh, and also follow us on Facebook at uh, Sully Scope, um, Sully Scope Films. Um, and uh, we, we post from time to time on there as well as on Instagram um, at Sully Scope. Uh, we'll, we'll post on there from time to time. And that's, it's kind of the best way to keep up with us. And also I'm, I'm around town. So uh, if you see me, say hello. Scott, thank you so much for coming on to talk about Trigger Girl and all the great work that you're doing for not just your studio, but also for Louisiana filmmakers and actors in general. It was great to speak with you again. 
Same Congratulations. Here. Congratulations Thank on the film. Thank you so much, Chris. It's always a, a, a really, really uh, big pleasure to talk to you. And it's an honor as well uh, to be in your presence, man. Appreciate you your as well. work and everything that you're doing. Yeah, I share those sentiments, Scott. Thank you so much. That's the Viewfinder podcast for this week. I'm Chris Hadley. Thanks again for listening. Please stay safe, everyone. See you next time.